0: Oh God, we give you thanks for the blessing of a life worth living, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This coming May, if you choose to attend, you can go to a conference called In Pursuit of Happiness. It's hosted by the magazine The Atlantic in Half Moon Bay, California at the Ritz-Carlton. And it will feature artists, business leaders, philosophers, and neuroscientists who the event registration webpage promises will give you the skills to cultivate new rituals and pursue more purpose. Registration is $700, but you'll still need to cover lodging at the Ritz airfare and food. But it's brilliant marketing, isn't it? You take the message of Jesus, strip out all the God stuff, and then charge people hundreds of dollars for what the church has been saying for centuries. Suffice to say, I am not planning to attend. And if you had been thinking of going, just stay here and I'll give you a better price on happiness. But the fact that many people will spend thousands of dollars to attend this sort of conference really does say a lot about our society right now. We are all in search of the good life, trying to find something that will bring happiness to the mundane of everyday life. And truly, I am glad that some people are exploring this topic intellectually instead of instinctively as many lives have been destroyed when people look for happiness in less healthy ways, such as gambling, affairs, painkillers, or alcohol. We are all searching for that which makes our hearts sing, for the peace that passes all understanding, for a joy that cannot be shaken by the changes and chances of life. But we need to know where to look, The gift of grace is that it's right in front of us. Jesus brings us into his abundant and flourishing life. As we continue to think about baptism on these Sundays after the Epiphany, we remember that we are baptized into the good life. The problem is that we humans always want more. We are rarely satisfied. St. Augustine famously wrote that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And so the good life is received as a gift when we stop and rest in God, not when we try to produce it ourselves, which leads to nothing but disappointment and fatigue. We're just so focused on self-help, self-actualization, customization, and accomplishments that we look right past this wonderful gift That we've been given. In broad terms the pursuit of the good life is the work of philosophy. Now these days we tend to think of philosophers as people who sit around and think big thoughts that have little to do with everyday life. Philosophers answer the questions that no one is asking, some would say. But this is not what philosophy historically has been about. Instead of being about the ivory tower, philosophy is really about Main Street. It is about addressing the sorts of questions that keep us awake at night, the sorts of things that make or break the good life. One of the best books that I've recently read is called Jesus, The Great Philosopher, by Jonathan Pennington. And in it, he argues that Jesus ought to be seen as a great philosopher who sought to teach us about the good life and how to enter into it. Now, of course, Jesus is not merely a philosopher. He is also Lord, but that doesn't mean he is less than a philosopher. Pennington writes that what is causing a crisis of faith for so many people and in the church these days is that Christianity has become merely a religion and it has ceased to be a philosophy. By this he means that the Christian faith focuses too much on the things that we are supposed to do. Care for the poor, confess our sins, read the Bible, attend church, say prayers, put money in the offering plate, and try not to be a jerk. For one, that's all works and no grace, and we all have plenty of work to do as it is. But by themselves, none of those things will bring us into the good life because those are all the means, not the end. If we confuse the things that Christians are to do for the things that Christians are, then we've lost the thread. Instead, Pennington shows how Jesus is the great philosopher who offers us a way of entering into the good life. But he compares our modern lives to a chest of drawers like the one you have in your bedroom, where you put your socks in one drawer, maybe shirts in another one, underwear and still another. Yes, maybe back in college we just threw unmatched socks into whatever drawer had room in it, but now most of us segregate our clothing into different drawers. And he says this is a metaphor for how we live our lives. We have a compartment for how we make financial decisions. And a different drawer for how we form our political opinions. And another one for spirituality. And if we're honest, that spirituality drawer doesn't get opened very often. This is not a description of the good life. A good life is not a segregated life, but rather it is about integration. In a good life, or we might say a flourishing life, or a happy life, or abundant life, as Jesus puts it, Everything belongs, and everything fits together. But to do this, we have to have an overarching philosophy that makes sense of everything, something that can connect all of these various parts of our lives and knit them together into the happiness that God intends for us. This sort of philosophical framework is needed before we read the passage we heard from Luke, sometimes called, The beatitudes in his book pennington says that jesus is doing in this passage what any great philosopher would do gather their students make them sit down and teach them the philosophy of the good life now one way to read the beatitudes certainly would be to go into each woe and blessing specifically but that's another sermon for another sunday For today though, as we're thinking about baptism and the good life, I want to consider the bigger picture of the philosophy that Jesus is presenting us with this morning. We call this passage the Beatitudes because that key word blessed, when translated into Latin, is beatitudo. You've probably seen bumper stickers around town on cars that read, hashtag blessed. That's not what we're talking about. That is a version of the faith known as the prosperity gospel in which we are promised health and wealth if we are just faithful enough and more often than not, if we give enough money to the church for the preacher to have an extravagant lifestyle. In scripture though, blessed means something like happy, but it's a very special sort of happiness. In the thought world of the day, this sort of happiness was reserved for the gods on Mount Olympus. This blessedness or happiness was not possible for us humans. Royalty perhaps on occasion could get close to it, but it was always fleeting because humans, even kings and queens, are susceptible to disease, discomfort, and ultimately death. So imagine the shock when Jesus comes along and says, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, blessed are you who weep, blessed are you when people hate you. Imagine that the next time that we are getting ready to elect city council members, instead of looking to the chamber of commerce to find potential candidates, if we checked next door at the county jail to see who was getting out soon, Jesus is completely flipping the script of every social convention. Not only is this blessed happiness not reserved only for the gods, but it is being given to the least, the lost, and the lowly. And Jesus describes this blessedness as a present reality. This is not a hack to find our way into the good life. It's not as if we can find reasons to cry that we will then be laughing. The Beatitudes are not if-then. They are descriptive, not prescriptive, which means they are not giving us steps to follow, but rather this philosophy of Jesus is showing us something deeper and bigger and lovelier about the good life. What's unique about Luke's Beatitudes is that he includes the woes. The woes are warnings to us who might be on the wrong path. And the interesting thing about both the blessings and the woes is that they locate us in our relationship to God. And both the Psalm that we sang this morning and the passage from Jeremiah help us to further see this philosophy that Jesus is laying out. Jeremiah prophesies, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. And then Psalm 1, and it's not Psalm 1 by accident. It's the first one because it is intended to set the tone for the rest of the Psalms. And it begins with, happy are they, or blessed are they, Who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. In different ways, these passages are saying the same thing. The good life is given to us by God. And when we try to make it ourselves, we end up in bad places. That's the thing about these people that Jesus describes as blessed they are utterly dependent on God because they have nowhere else to turn to. They are hungry, poor, weeping, and hated. And it is that utter and total dependence on God that creates that state of bliss or happiness in them. Because God provides abundantly for all of us who have ears to hear it and hearts to hear to receive this good news that God is the one who created us and restores us and empowers us. When we can realize that we are not the masters of our own domains, that we are not the protagonists in our own stories, but rather we are characters in God's divine drama, then we are ready to inherit the good life that God has gifted to us all but it has to be received as a gift. Those who are warned with woes are those who are self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-referential, and self-assured. It can be a hard truth to learn that success is not measured on a resume or with a bank account or a job title. That the race to the top is actually a race away from God. Because God is often found at the bottom. That the idea of climbing the ladder in career, in wealth, in prestige, it's not only an idol. It's a lie. And so Jesus offers these woes to us who are rich, full, laughing, and well-respected. Now, to be clear, there is nothing inherently wrong with being well-fed or laughing or having a good reputation or even wealth. The problem is the attitudes that often accompany those things. When we expect to find happiness in things that we have made, we will always come up short and will be left wanting. In the reading from 1 Corinthians, we heard St. Paul write about the importance of the resurrection. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and our faith has been in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. St. Paul here is referring not only to the death of our mortal bodies, but rather the death that we die to ourselves and to our egos, which happens in baptism, As he writes in Romans, in baptism we die to ourselves and we die to sin so that we might rise with Christ and be alive in Christ. That is the good life, living our lives in Christ, receiving life as a gift, living lives that are resonant with God, living not to or for ourselves, but rather finding our place within God's story. And so very briefly, you might wonder how do we do this? How do we live the good life? Well, it takes a deep awareness of God's grace. So being open and honest about our flaws, our imperfections and our needs, and then knowing that God graciously forgives and redeems us is important. It takes humility to remember that God is God, And that we are not. That what matters is God's story, not ours. In remembering the words of Jesus, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And one way that I have found to be helpful in doing this is to use the Jesus prayer throughout the day. It's very short. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Use that prayer throughout the day. Maybe when you're sitting in traffic or brushing your teeth, and say the Lord's Prayer at least once a day. Two or three times would be even better, but just start with one. This grounds us in the wonderful and beautiful words of grace that are waiting for us all, that because of Jesus' love for us, when we meet him face to face, he will welcome us into the fullness of this blessed happiness. The good life is received in knowing that because God has already blessed us in Jesus, we can therefore live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us and inherit his kingdom of abundant life. And as a bonus, you don't even have to pay to stay at the Ritz.